Go. Streaming from South Africa to the world. To the world. This is the Stonks Go Moon podcast. What just happened? We break it down so you don't have to. <laughs> Welcome everyone to the Stonks Go Moon podcast. My guest today, Darren Lee, he's operations manager, wealth and trading at Revolut. Darren, how are you? I'm very welcome. Thank you very much for having me uh, on the show. I really appreciate it. It's not many times I get to reach out to be on a podcast like this. So as well as have my own one, I wanted to try to do a lot of these appearances too and work off different kind of uh, different styles and see what we can come up with. Yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, we'll dive into that a bit later. First of all, let's get the elephant out of the room. Revolut valuation <laughs> this week. 33 fucking billion dollars. Let's go. What a <laughs> momentous occasion for Revolut. Any thoughts about that? Look, it's just more so towards like the fintech environment. Like it's just been huge towards fintech the last couple of years. There's a lot of, you know, extreme growth there. And I think a big thing here is that a lot of fintech in general can solve the problem statements that a lot of traditional banks were struggling with or other types of companies. So it could have been your traditional banks. It could have been retail banking or whatnot. But really, a lot of fintechs have come along and just really provided services that customers wanted. So essentially, if you look at it from like a like a like a problem situation, yeah. what is the problem that people needed? They needed instant payments. They needed low cost fees. They needed all of these different factors. And this is where fintech have stepped in there and really got into under the under the grips. Really got a good understanding of what the customers want and being able to deliver on it. And the valuation is just awesome. You know, obviously everyone there has really deserves it. It's class along the way, but it really just shows like when you focus on customer centric, what can yeah. be delivered and really what can be produced. It's still there because a big trend now in FinTech is super apps. And super apps is, uh, I, I asked someone the other day, do you know what a super app is? And they like blankly stared at me and I asked another lady and she said, is that like Candy Crush Premium? So, I mean, the, the super apps is a big major trend at the moment. Uh, for the people that might not be familiar with it, what is it exactly and why does it matter? See, this is interesting. And it's always interesting when you look at like apps that are at huge scale. So mm. the concept of a super app has been around for so many years, for over like half a decade. And it really starts with the core of what it is. And it's essentially when people when a company will offer multiple different services, multiple different products to individual consumers, okay? So the benefit for a consumer is that they just have this one app, which is a one-stop shop. They have all of their products included and they can essentially transact, do multiple different payments all through one provider, okay? Now, this improves the stickiness and really what the stickiness is, how can we keep you involved in these platforms for as long as possible? Uh... And the real... The real like, you know, cornerstone towards like super apps was Alibaba, AliExpress and Alipay. So everyone knows AliExpress. It's your Chinese like e-commerce store. Yeah. And when Alibaba was designing this, they could have had a Visa, a MasterCard integration. Okay. But instead they choose to build their own payment infrastructure, which sits on top of their e-commerce. Yeah. And this was like revolutionary in terms of like building multiple different products within one company because this said, hey, you can transact here, get all your, you know, your regular durable goods, 
but also transact at a lower cost. And I believe that Ali, Alex, Ali Pay pretty much offer no fees. Yeah. So they were able to gather all of this information about a customer while providing a better service. And this is what and, gets and what's customer, so interesting. Customer information is so vital, right? Because fintech is driven by data. And that's exactly it. Like it doesn't matter if it's a software company, if it's whatever industry, it's a data is becoming the most like valuable resource. So in this instance, when Alibaba wanted to scale and they wanted to get bigger, yeah. they could offer so many different products. You had consumer lending, you had insurance, you also had wealth management. And the best data that you could possibly have is someone's transaction data. So let's say for instance, Rocco, who is located in China and is transacting on a daily basis, is now looking to get health insurance. Yeah. Well, we can offer you the best health insurance to see your life as being low risky or high risky, as well as offering you wealth management products based off your earnings. So that kind so basically of like all evolution, in one app. right? All in it's one all app. in one cap encapsulated. But what yeah. was so interesting here is that this has like this model has not just been like a fintech like revolution. Mm. You know, you saw Facebook a couple of years ago really around the crypto boom to try launch their marketplace and their Libra coin. That's now, right. again, go back to the very beginning. You have a social yeah. media app with an infrastructure layer that looks at marketplaces. And how are we going to transact? Well, they weren't, you know, as far on to develop their own payment infrastructure. So they yes. looked at crypto, obviously got shut down by ECB, ESMA. There was a lot of different like economists like views on this. Mm -hmm. But again, it was looking at how could we integrate multiple different services and one thing that i just saw recently which was so interesting was you may be aware of gojek in southeast yes. asia so yes. basically they're uber eats of asia um as well as deliveroo deliveroo is a european based yeah they have merged with tokopedia which is essentially the amazon of southeast asia now now toko now gojek offer you know delivery service of tyra curries and pad toys right but now they are integrated with an e-commerce store, which has a delivery network that they can build upon. Yeah, so now you have, have the this. Data. Exactly. So it's a parallel. It's just two things working in parallel, you know, and this where it becomes like super interesting. And I think for a lot of different fintech firms, a lot of them will be working in single execution, looking at a single product. Yes. But really the value has been push towards having these multiple different services at a fraction of a cost of individual companies. Let's uh, shift gears a bit and talk about those multiple different services. In my LinkedIn post this week, I basically waited 19 days for a business banking <laughs> account, which is, in mm -hmm. my opinion, in the digital age, ridiculous. And that led me to this a bit of an outpour of emotion and saying uh, that new banks are a threat. I made a statement. I said new banks are a threat to traditional banking industry. I got a bit of backlash. I, but overwhelmingly, I got a lot of support. Um, mm -hmm. What is your opinion about that? See, I think it's interesting because like with any like, you know, innovation cycle, it could have been cloud computing. It could have been anything there's always a backlash at first and i think people are more like skeptical of like tech and they're more pessimistic of like the outcome and i remember being at like fintech forums in 2017 2018 in london and them having a load of like pushback from retail banking saying that you know this is just a phase you know it's like whatever let's just like all coins or whatever just a phase yeah but silently what's been happening in the background is you've had a multiple different fintechs firm focusing on solutions to problems 
whereas traditional banking in my eyes has been built on credit okay so the traditional products that retail banks offer are all around credits which is your mortgage which is your business loans and whatnot now we've seen over the last year and a half uh due to you know covid that there's non-performing loans a lot of these are a backlog of essentially bad debt whereas fintech and a lot of software companies are more flexible, they're more agile, they can pivot, they can roll out these products in, you know, really short periods of time, and really disrupt something that's very traditional. Now, what's interesting is that you say traditional, I say archaic, like technological dinosaurs. And before, like I, you know, worked in uh, Revolut, I was also working as a consultant, and I've worked with large legacy systems. I've seen firsthand yeah. how like difficult they are to into essentially alter to integrate there's also resistance to change where the flexibility to start from ground up in like a fintech firm also offers that mobility now again going back to solving the problem let's say it, it could be anything right you have a situation whereby there's a remittance issue in latin america we need to solve the remittance issue a fintech firm can start up and you know essentially get seed capital and offer this service for three years with no with no rates yes. and essentially offer the service to get in a huge customer base. The revenue model of um, traditional banks will be focused on having capital adequacy, having minimum capital requirements to get uh, mortgages and whatnot. Whereas a lot of fintech firms, man, they don't want that. It's like baggage. It's like ball and chain <laughs> vibe. It's like why would why do we why do we need that if we can offer a lot of different yeah. alternative services? Okay, now that's where it gets really interesting because you have this you know essentially debate of what's kind of more better do we have a varied service or do we have like a traditional 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 banking service yeah but i think there's another element to this which is the big tech companies and this is where it gets super super interesting so it's always been looking at fintech but my eyes have always been kind of a bit more fearful of big tech, especially yes. Fang in particular. So your Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Mm-hmm. What they can offer essentially is they have this balance sheet and this like they're sitting on this like pot of gold essentially to go to mess with, essentially to mess with, right? And for single execution of products or for fintechs, yeah. this is where they may fall in because big what big tech can do is disrupt those industries. So essentially it's kind of ironic because it's a disrupting industry that's being disrupted by bigger companies. Okay, so yeah, let me give yeah. you a perfect example. All right. Perfect example last week is buy now pay later, which as you may yeah, be aware of, it's Biggest. just buy now and pay later. It's pretty simple, yeah. right? But if you look at the disruptor to this, you saw Apple and Goldman Sachs come together to potentially look at this essentially way to disrupt buy now pay later. Yes, and for me, that's why buy now, that's why buy now pay later for me is often a feature, and versus an actual like you know huge company because it's focusing on one thing, and that's always been the kind of fear. And the thing about Apple, the thing about Goldman is the fact that they can throw so much cash at things that they could really throw enough shit at the wall until it sticks Amen. and then eventually you'll get this this version you know gs and, knows uh, the way if they don't know the way they make the way exactly and what, what i think is really cool here as well is that a good mirror to see like apple's progression through like i don't know fintech or whatever is to look at their automotive in industry like um research now yeah. they've got a lot of things wrong they definitely got a lot of things wrong They've, they've been looking at different areas to try it. It's been a, a huge lengthy process, but they will get there. 
they will have their own versions of EVs. It could be 2025. They could be rolling something out. And at that period of time, that's where your traditional car manufacturers would suffer. And that's what's quite cool where it goes back in reverse. But if you, what people don't realize is if you're not innovating right, then you're, you can't fail. So if you're innovating, and which means that you will be failing, which means that you are moving actually forward. Mm-hmm. But the so, thing is that a lot of these startups might not have the capital to be able to fail, to fail too well, much. Well, Apple is sitting on $2 trillion, bank, a $2 trillion bank. Exactly, bank. exactly. So, I mean, what is that to them? Um, before I let you go, you have bu- built a fairly strong personal brand on the back of your podcast, uh, which is called The Kickoff Sessions. Um, my, what advice would you give young finance professionals coming into the industry, um, looking to maybe establish a personal brand uh, as well because i mean it's not you can't just be in the industry anymore and not have a personal brand am i right a hundred percent now i think the biggest thing to be aware of here is that you know the standard anymore isn't just like a one one uh so when i finished university a couple of years ago i thought if I guess get a good grade, it will pay dividends to me. But what's after happening is after several years, we are all at the same level. We all have a year's experience. We're all in big tech companies, consulting firms, and the competition pool gets more and more rootless, if you, if you like yeah, a better that's word. A good, that's so a good I think, comparison. Yeah. I think the best way to differentiate yourself now is also having an additional niche of a personal kind of brand, okay? And when people hear this, they think, you know, do I need to start a podcast? Do I need to start a research paper? Do I need to be plugging Instagram every, every or Instagram or LinkedIn every like day, essentially? The good news is you actually don't need any of this to get going. And this is what's really interesting. So I've always looked at LinkedIn as an online CV and the traditional CV, just like a lot of things that were quite traditional, are out of date. Your hair copy CV is necessary if you're going to apply on the front end to somewhere. But ultimately, it is going to be around your online CV. And that's where a lot of the value comes from. So for me, first step for personal brand has always been kidding out my LinkedIn so that it is literally bulletproof. Start to finish. I mean, from the very beginning, from the head down, literally from the photo down, that every single thing is impeccable. And the value in this so far for me is that I've got two professional jobs from it. Um, Two people reached out. They've seen this like, essentially online CV. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. what's so cool about this is that none of this happened before I started posting on LinkedIn. This was all, you know, 2018, 2019 and yeah. 2020. So that shows the value in it from a, you know, a very basic level. If you want to take a step up from here and you want to start like building a personal brand, because again, the ever importance of it, I think a really good first touch point that I've learned in hindsight is really leveraging the power of your own company the success of your own company so again you know sharing a couple of posts that are public information of course it could be earnings it could be a merger it could be acquisition it also could be just something to do with their corporate policy i feel that this taps into a market and a network that is close to home exactly to your company at first which is a good way to learn the muscle of writing now again i've been writing on linkedin every day for the last couple of months however i'm still dyslexic like i'm actually dyslexic and i find it difficult to write however i've just improved the muscle of just being able to write just through just through habit just through interest and the next stage to here which is the really well the the kind of value comes from this is being able to share your experience so for me i just kind of share you know 
the good times and the bad times of my career, often on LinkedIn. I wrap this into my podcast, which is a careers podcast, by pulling in other experts, distill this information into easy to under, understand for young guys yeah. and girls, and basically pass off this information towards a younger generation. So I have a very, very narrow window of a target market. It is people that are in their final year of university towards the first two years of university. It's very niche. And in there is where I pass off, you know, some things I've learned, but mainly what I pull from my podcast. So that's kind of the evolutionary kind of aspect of it. And really the last side is if you do have time and you want to start something, or if you have been doing something, get online and and share that experience. If you've had a startup or if you've had an e-commerce website and it's gone to shit, well then say everything that went wrong. (laughs) Someone will chime in. Someone will tell you about like, you know, how to fix it. And then you have passed off this knowledge to someone else. And I think that's valuable. And at the very end of the day, what's all the value in this? You connect with people that are more experienced than you. You really grow an audience. And with that audience, then you can tap into it in times of essentially need so i'll leave you on this note but well, even yesterday <laughs> yeah. i i launched uh i launched a new instagram yesterday for kickoff sessions yeah i was about I to ask you like if people if the listeners want to get in touch with you uh where can they do it and um, you just leave us some uh, some links and some places where people can connect with you Sure. So like the main thing is obviously LinkedIn. Darren Lee, you can catch like all my kind of regular stuff as well as my podcast kickoff sessions on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, all the big boys. But uh, one thing I was going to say was that I just recently launched a new Instagram page and the power of networking, which I've seen is that yesterday I reached out to pretty much all the kind of people in my network, send them personalized um, voice notes. I wanted to just connect with them to share some content, whatnot. And in one day I was able to reach over 25,000 people just from tapping into people on a new page. So if you are looking to launch something and if you are looking to start something in the future, by developing that network and having that platform, you can tap into these markets to essentially have a better starting point. Well, Darren, I think Revolut gave you a shitload of content uh, to talk about this (laughs) week. I want to thank you again for coming on the pod. Uh, To our listeners, peace, love and prosperity and we'll catch you in the next one.